I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. And Ms. Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. I am excited today. Uh, and I say that often what? and I always What's am that? excited, but this is kind of a, a, an extra step up or an extra level for me. Um, we are thrilled to bring you an interview today with Billy Campbell, who, of course, you all know from numerous roles, uh, but he's known best in our heart as the Rocketeer, as the Rocketeer is going into its 30th year. And we're celebrating that anniversary, getting to speak to Billy um, and just excited for this conversation because I I have to share right up top that um, The Rocketeer was one of those first films that truly connected with me as a little kid. Um, It came out in 1991. I was five or six years old. I'm sure that I didn't see it in theaters, but I got to see it as soon as it came out to video. Uh, And it was just a, a great film, a heroic film. It gave me that sense that I loved superheroes and I loved um, that kind of comic atmosphere. And that, of course, has carried into my whole life. I mean, we started this podcast talking about Avengers Age of Ultron, and it's because I uh, love these superhero stories. I love these uh, comic book stories, and this started that passion for it. So this means a lot to me to get to talk to Billy today. Uh, How about you two? Because I know that you were excited as well. Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we have coming up with Billy Campbell? Well, it is always a pleasure to speak with creative people. I especially love when we stop talking about their career and talk about life uh, because they are so thoughtful and have a wonderful perspective to to bring to the table in conversation. So that I am looking forward to, but also I'm very much looking forward to living vicariously through your joy. I am so excited for you. We tease you just terribly sometimes so it's Disneyland Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) you know it's nice to see some good things come your way on this podcast so I am just so excited for you well thank you I'm I'm really looking forward to it I will tell you people ask uh, armchair imagineering uh what would you put into Disney. And I always said that, you know, the old Hollywood vibe of Disney's Hollywood studio is something that I would want to explore more. So I'm saying, and I'm sorry, Aerosmith fans, get rid of rock and roller coaster and make that the flight of the rocketeer, because that is such a, it would be, it fits so well right there next to the Hollywood tower hotel. It would be uh, amazing to keep that side of the park in that way, but that's a whole nother podcast. Brett, are you excited for this interview? I'm I'm really excited. It was great watching the film again and doing all of the research and revisit the 80s and the 1980s, yes, and um, and the whole dynasty area and 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 I had so many friends that um, enjoyed dynasty. So this part's for you when I'm asking you questions about dynasty. So, but just overall, I just cannot wait to get this started. So I can't wait either. Let's go right to our interview with Billy Campbell. We are so excited to bring to Beyond the Mouse and NPR Illinois Community Voices podcast, Billy Campbell. How are you today, Billy? I'm very well, thanks. Absolutely. That's so great to hear. And of course, we want to speak to you about the 30th anniversary of The Rocketeer. But before we do that, 
I really want to talk about Cardinal because this is a show that was on CTV in Canada, but fortunately for us, it's actually available on Hulu. So in researching uh, this interview, I jumped on Hulu and I found that. And I have to tell you, I binged the first two seasons. Uh, so I'm through that. And it is such a great show. And you play such a, a multi-layered character. You've got this kind of gruff exterior, but at the same time, you're such a, a family man at the core of it. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about how you get into the role of John Cardinal and how was that experience to be that role and on that show? Well, honestly, I think it was one of the best experiences of my, my career. Um, and in terms of getting into the part, I, you know, I have a bit of, uh, as I presume most actors uh, do, a bit of a casting director that lives in the back of my head and um, if I read a part and I either see myself in it or I don't, you know, as if I'm a casting director. And if I don't see myself in the part, it's very hard for me to, you know, get up the energy to even go on the audition. Uh, um, but within a page, within the first couple of pages of reading uh, the pilot script for Cardinal, I saw myself in the role. I thought to myself, my God, I'm perfect casting for this. <laughs> it's like I could see myself in the role. And um, that being said, it was heartbreaking because I had promised my, my wife, we had a new kid, and I had promised my wife that I would be around for her final year of uh, architecture studies. And... Um, in Copenhagen. So I turned it down without even mentioning it to her because I didn't want to pressure her. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a heartbreak, but I've, I have, if nothing else in my life, I have learned a, a bit of Zen and I let it go and, and all was well until about two and a half weeks later, my manager called back and said, uh, the people from Cardinal are sniffing around again and they want to know if no really means no. And it was like a dagger in my heart. And I, I, so I brought it up with my wife and um, I said, look, I know I said that I would be around for your final year of studies. You say no, and I'll say no again, and I'll never think of it again, and we'll never talk about it again. She said, well, can I read it? <laughs> I said, uh, Okay. Yeah, I had to teach her how to read a script. You know, she wasn't sure what the stage direction meant and all that. She read it. She came back. She said, I think you ought to do it. Yeah. So I ended up doing what turned out to be, I think, one of the best roles of my life, of my career. And karmically, it all came back to her because the show is playing and or has played in over 100 other countries and is uh, really, really successful. And it's been the best opportunity I have had to get my foot in the door of the business over there um, that, I, that you could imagine. So uh, the chances of me sticking close to home are uh, even better because she did say yes. 
That's wonderful. And you know, it's, it's funny. I have texted so many of my friends this week to say, you need to watch this show. And I, I have a, a good friend who is in um, CSI out in San Bernardino County. And so I said, Kirk, you need to tell me, you know, is this an accurate show? And he said, it really truly is. And I think it's because of the writing and um, because of the, the books that they are based on. Uh, just incredible. You have such a, a heartbreaking end to season two that mm. I finished last night. And so now after this interview, I'm going to start season three. So if people in the United States have not heard of this uh, show or haven't had the chance to check it out on Hulu, I cannot recommend this enough. And uh, I, I don't know, the season four did air in Canada last year, right? And so any idea um, how long of a delay that takes for it to end up on Hulu or anything? I don't know, honestly. And I've heard from a few other folks that they're looking for season four who have watched the first three on Hulu. And I, I, I can't, I can't honestly imagine why it's not there yet. Um, so, no clue. Well, at least we get a little bit uh, of time then to be able to to kind of feel Ooh. satisfied in this character because again, it's just just an incredible uh, incredible role. And as you said, you are perfect for it, especially even explaining that story with your wife and the fact that family is obviously very important to you. That is the driving sense that you get from this character. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I know Vanessa has a question now for you as well. Sure. I do. Well, for a lot of people, you're their first superhero. And I have to tease my co-host a little bit, Craig. Um, he feels this way very strongly and he's playing things so cool right now. I have to give it up to Craig, but he is a very big fan. <laughs> so we want to ask you about your origin story and, and how did you get involved in acting and, and what led you down the path to becoming uh, Craig's first superhero? <laughs> Uh, well, technically, technically, he's not a superhero. So, true. <laughs> technically, <laughs> he has a cool backpack. Just, just, uh, <laughs> just the guy with a rocket pack. Um, uh, you, you mean the whole uh, story? I'll try to condense it. I'll put it in a nutshell. But uh, sure, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll share all day long. But. You know, I, I was a boy in Virginia. I grew up on a farm. I went to, um, I went to, I'm leaving out a lot of the unsavory stuff. Um, <laughs> went to, uh, I went to art school, commercial art school in Chicago. Uh, I wanted to be a comic book artist, honestly. I, and my next move was uh, to go east after Chicago to, uh, I would have gone East to Joe Kubert's School of Comic Book Art um, in New Jersey, but uh, I fell in love with a gal from acting class in Chicago. I got into an acting class because a buddy, uh, a friend of mine, said, "Come, you got to check this out. It's amazing." These, these, he was in an acting class on the near north side, and I went in there, and the, uh, I just became. I just, I joined the acting studio. I dropped out of art school, much to the chagrin of my parents, and started acting. Um, and, uh, you know, in, to get your start in Chicago is a lot, or it was in the day, it was a lot easier than uh, elsewhere, I have to imagine. Um, partly because Chicago is so condensed that as an aspiring actor, you can walk around to every agency in town in a single afternoon, uh, just on your own two feet. 
Um, and back then, any agency would see anybody. You could walk in as an, a complete unknown and you'd be guaranteed at least one meeting with an agent from an agency and give them your picture, talk to them, give them your pictures, your headshots and your CV, such as it was with nothing on it. Uh, and how it generally worked was the first agent to send you on a meeting uh, that got you a job would represent you. And uh, so I did that. And I, I remember I got, uh, the first thing I ever did was I had an audition for a soap opera. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. It was in New York. Agent calls me a day later and so excited. Guess what? You're going to screen test for, I don't know what it was, all my children, let's say. They're going to fly you to New York. You're going to screen test for all my children. And I was terribly excited. But then I was like, uh, but what does that mean? Does that mean she's like, it's a screen test. You sign a contract, then you do the screen test. If they want you, they got you for, you know, two, three, five years. And I was like, ah, uh, I used to, I used to watch soap operas at a not so productive point in my early life. And I, I really think they're kind of cheesy. I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> she was like, what? You, you've never done anything. You got a screen test. <laughs> soap opera. I, like, I don't want to be on a soap opera. Yeah. So uh, she yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was, I said, uh, does that mean you won't be my agent? And she said, no, I'll be your agent. And she hung up the phone. So, so I became an actor. And then I did a, a small part. My first on camera was a small part in a TV movie in Chicago. I was so petrified when I got on screen in front of the camera, uh, when I got in front of the camera that I, I froze up. I became a block of wood and they almost entirely cut me out of the thing. It was traumatic. The director clutches, grabbed his hair and turned away from the camera, yelled something obscene and, uh, I almost quit the business if it hadn't been for a very, very kind first AD who took care of me. Uh, and then I left to go to LA to chase uh, my girlfriend from the acting studio, choosing instead of going to comic book uh, school to go out to LA. I chased her out there and uh, my first job there was, I got a, I got a, um, I got an arc on Dynasty, which was terribly exciting because uh, it was the top, sh I think it was the top rated show on TV at the time. Um, I had no idea what the part would be. When I auditioned, uh, I was reading a scene with, with a, a man and a woman. Um, I mean, I was the man, uh, they had a woman there. Um, and then I went home to Virginia to visit family and while I was in Virginia, I got a call saying I got the job on Dynasty. I happened to be visiting an old teacher from school at the time, and he was thrilled. I was thrilled, and we spent the evening, you know, just conjecturing which of the beautiful women on Dynasty I would be, uh, <laughs> I would be cavorting with. And then I got out there and realized that uh, that the character was gay, and so that was interesting because I had never. Well, because they hadn't said anything about it and because I had never played a, a gay person before. And um, 
And I think it was one of the first, if I'm not mistaken, the first openly depicted gay relationships on primetime television. Um, and it was a blessing, a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And then I was sort of off and running. Yeah, it's, wow. it's, it's, we, you know, we've been having a lot of discussions um, recently about the ability to be able to see yourself in the story. And so mm-hmm. to think that that was an experience that a lot of people had, um, partially thanks to the role that you were able to get, I, I think that that's just absolutely wonderful. Um, I have a, sort of a, a sillier question, uh, and Brett is going to ask you about Dynasty, maybe more specifically. Um, but I noticed on IMDb that you have a couple of different screen names uh depending on which era of film it was and i was telling uh my co-host yesterday i said i have seen the beginning of rocketeer maybe a million times i have <laughs> no idea that that first title card is bill campbell i know you as billy campbell so i just you know how does that uh evolution happen because i know you also uh, are william campbell in gettysburg and a couple of other credits as well i think uh star trek next generation so just uh, you know, if you'd like to, to answer a bit yeah. about that. Yeah, it's easy. Um, when I first came out to California uh, and registered with the Screen Actors Screen Actors, mm-hmm. screen actors Guild, um, I, you know, my family have always called me Ollie or Billy, right? Ollie for my middle name, Oliver, Billy for William. And, uh, but I, when I came out there, I was young and I wanted to seem, I guess, more mature than I was. And so I, I started going by William. But then the Screen Actors Guild got a hold of me and said, well, you can't be William because there is a William Campbell. And <laughs> he uh, had been on Star Trek previously and done a bunch of other stuff, Westerns and so forth. Is it very? I looked him up, and I'm like, "Oh, I know that guy." Um, and uh, so then I went by Billy. Uh, I always wished I had gone by Ollie because that's uh, the name that fits me best and the one I feel most comfortable in. Um, so then I went by Billy, and then uh, then that no no sorry then I went by Bill. And then I changed it as at a certain point, I added the Y I, uh, at some point. Uh, the Bill, of all of my, the iterations of my name, Bill is my least favorite. I mean, it's just, that's something you get in the mail. That you have to... <laughs> well, I did have a question about yeah. Dynasty and you did speak, well, it's Dynasty. I mean, wow, Dynasty was the deal. Okay, I, I do recall watching Dynasty, you know, yes, I, I and, and I have friends who watch Dynasty, so they are going to be very thrilled that we are speaking to you, as I am, but anyway, but and you know, what was you it, I mean, look like you're old enough to have watched Dynasty. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, thank you. My babysitter <laughs> told me all about, yeah, Dynasty, so, <laughs> but, well, okay, well, actually, and then I'll, we're going to ask you about, you know, that cast, but okay. You know, this is beyond the mouse. So I have a little bit and follow me with this. Okay. Yeah, so a friend of mine, Goofy, we're beyond the mouse and I'm a former Walt Disney world cast member. So I still play by the rules. So Goofy was at a big tennis event in Florida. And I mean, it was a who's who of eighties pop culture. I mean, Robin Leach was there reporting yeah. the lifestyles of the rich and famous, yeah. but Goofy met and posed for pictures with one of your co-stars, John Forsythe. 
And Goofy tells me that John Forsyth was such a wonderful gentleman. He reached out his hand. Well, hello, Goofy. How are you today? (laughs) As I remember Goofy telling me. And, and, And he was just very open to this, you know, to having a moment with Goofy in a photo op. And he was so kind as goofy told me okay we've yep. enough about that but anyway i also remember okay charlton heston of the colbys yes the dynasty spinoff yeah was there as well and he wasn't interested at all in um having his picture taken with goofy but no. john forsyth <laughs> was the deal john, so, i will not i will not disabuse you of any of your favorable uh, uh rumors of john forsyth he is a just an absolute gentleman. I, I treasured every moment I got to spend near him and with him because he's just a, he was just a lovely, lovely human being. Lovely. He was, he was so kind to Goofy. I'm like going, if he can be kind to Goofy, he's, he's kind to be Goofy. kind to pretty much everyone. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that cast, I mean, what was it like working with all those people? And did you have a table read? And what was the table read? Do you do table <laughs> reads for an hour-long series? No, no, not no. the dynasty. No, no, no. no. Um, I'm like going, what would, yeah, what would, yeah, what would Joan Collins be wearing when she comes in on to work and all that? So, yeah. oh, yeah, it's a very, it's a very hectic and very time-consuming schedule, I'm sure. So, it, it so was, jumping it, into that sort of thing, what was that like? It was, uh, it was, um, a great learning experience because as you can imagine, you know, it's dynasty, it's largely shot on stages. It's a well-oiled machine, um, you know, a bit of a sausage machine, but it's a, but it's a machine and it's, you know, it's, it's making prime sausage. And, uh, and so I learned a lot about, you know, the value of being professional. I was working with a load of professionals, John Forsyth, top among them, but all there, nobody coming to work with, nobody coming to work and holding like the pages in their hands to, everybody comes to work off the page and and uh, everybody, I remember John Forsyth telling me one time, and I have never failed since, but he told me, there was so much I wish I could remember, but I do remember a moment when we were talking and he told me a few things to always do, right? Always do this, always do that. And one of the things was at the end of the day, you're in your hole, you're in your cubicle. When you take off your costume, hang up your clothing, hang it up, hang it back up. You know, people have to come in and take that stuff and, and they, you know, hang up your clothing. And I, and I have never from that day ever not hung up my clothing after I've used it. And, uh, That's great. Yes. It's a funny thing to remember, but. No, it's, it's all important. And, and working with, working with, with he and so many other people, I mean, it certainly bodes well. Rock Hudson. It. I met Rock Hudson for God's sake. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Wow. Yeah, and and the cat fights. Well, it's you know it's an iconic series, and you're part of that. So that is you know that's a great thing. That's yeah. a great thing. Yeah, it, it led to so many other wonderful things. Oh, now we're going there. I'm practicing yeah. my segues. I'd say getting <laughs> into uh, getting into the, the Rocketeer, um, and I have to, in the most respectful way possible, mm-hmm. push back a little bit that he's not a superhero because really Batman's just a guy with a lot of money. So uh, yeah, Cliff can do. 
Batman's not a superhero either. <laughs> okay, fair, <laughs> enough, fair enough. But it is celebrating its 30th year. And um, Vanessa alluded to this, but this is one of my top five favorite films. It's uh, oh. when you look at The Rocketeer, a lot of articles are coming out about it, celebrating its 30th year. And they mm-hmm. talk about how it had the Marvel formula before these Marvel MCU films were even a, a thought. And so what, what do you think it is about the Rocketeer in general, from your perspective, how does it endure like this over time? And why does it have such the fan base that it does? I think part of it is the, is the, is the sweet spirit of the film, you know, and maybe that's the largest part of it. Um, It has a really sweet spirit. And honestly, I think that's reflective of, it's creator Dave Stevens, who was a sweet, sweet man, a kind and caring and sweet man. And, and, and the other part of it is just that beautiful design, you know, that, that 30s sort of, uh, what's it called, a, um, Art Nouveau. Mm-hmm. It is. It's kind of an Art Deco, but Art Nouveau, Art Deco. Art Nouveau too. Art Deco. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> style, which is so everything about it. I mean, even the shape of the GB. I think part of the reason Dave loved the era so much is that is the is that it just was so much fun to draw, and so much fun to look at. Um, and and then of course you have uh, all of the uh, wonderfully accomplished people. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Joe Johnston, who uh, who worked to craft it. Uh, Jim Bissell, uh, one of the best uh, production designers in the in the business. Um, and uh, I, it just it was sort of a perfect uh, perfect storm of. Uh, perfect storm of things to to sort of thrill the thrill your sense of adventure and and thrill your uh, you know put to warm the cockles of your heart absolutely it's just so uh, it's such a great mixture of that old hollywood feel with um this action adventure that uh, was really coming into its prime in the nineties and in the eighties, having come off of things like Indiana Jones and all of that. And it's just, it fits that mold so, so, so well. Uh, Vanessa, you had a question. Yeah. So we, we wanted to um, just talk a little bit more about this because the, the role is such a standout performance. So you're in LA, you're doing the dynasty thing. So tell us, Walk us to how uh, you become Cliff Secord. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's pretty funny because because uh, by the time, let's see, uh, Rocketeer came around in '90, um, and I was doing Dynasty in '84. I think I started on Dynasty '85, maybe something like that. So there were a few years in between. I. <clears throat> I got uh, I started going to the Southern California Renaissance Fair as soon as I got to LA which uh used to be up in the mountains just north of Los Angeles um and was uh really like a a holdover from the hippie days it was uh it was it was really something to witness it was wonderful and um I went there as a 
just a, <clears throat> you know, a, a customer, uh, though it's a bit like Rocky Horror Picture Show, everyone dresses up to go to the women's <laughs> room. Mm-hmm. Um, I went there as a customer for the first uh, few years, uh, but then it moved down to San Bernardino around the edge of this uh, big lake down in San Bernardino, and uh, it became even bigger. Uh, and um, uh, I started working there, um, doing um, working there as one of the, you know, the, the Renaissance Fair is so geeky. It's, it's all, you know, they run it like an old, like, like a period thing. I mean, you belong to a guild and you uh, learn all these crafts and you, it, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, 90% of the joy of the Renaissance Fair is behind the scenes for the people who work there, you know? Um, and so I became part of the Actors Guild and uh, I started doing um, a half hour version, if you can uh, conceive of it, a half hour version of The Taming of the Shrew, um, which, so imagine a version of The Taming of the Shrew in which all of the dead time, meaning all of the time that you would spend actually catching your breath on stage were cut out, right? <laughs> um, so it's, wow. it's fast, it's furious, and it's half hour long, and we do it three times a day. And, um, and not only that, but I would be well, well into my cups before the first, before the first, <laughs> before the first show. So I was doing the Renaissance Fair. I had long hair. I had a massive goatee, and I was doing Shakespeare, and I was just as happy as I could be when I was called to go on this audition for this movie. Um, <clears throat> which I don't know my, where my head was, but I think I glanced at the script and I was like, I don't you know, it's some comic book thing. And I've never, I never really liked superhero movies. I still am not a big fan, but I went on the audition and I, all I remember is I <laughs> walking into the room and I think the people in the room, the casting director, and maybe there was Joe Johnston and some other people, a producer or two, and, and they were looking at me like, what is, what is this guy doing here? I looked like a, you know, like a, I don't know what I looked like. I looked like a madman. And um, <laughs> I didn't hear anything more about it. I went back to the fair, having a wonderful time eating turkey legs and drinking Guinness <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, chasing wenches in the street between shows. And And uh, sure enough, like a couple months go by and then I get a call and my manager says, uh, they want to see you for the Rocketeer again. They want to screen test you. And I'm like, huh? What? What? And uh, so I went, I dug up the script and I read it and I'm like, and I properly read it. And I was not doing the Renaissance Fair at this point, though I was still rather hirsute and, uh, I read the script properly and I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> and, and I realized that it was based on a comic strip. So I, I rolled down the hill to Golden Apple Comics and I went and got the graphic novel. And I'm in the store and I probably like said something loud and obscene the moment I opened the magazine because I'm like, wait a minute, I, I, this is me. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> And of course, Dave, you know, drew the Rocketeer modeled on him. And he and I might have been brothers. We look so much alike. And uh, I was like, 
oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I ran right to a barber and I got my face shaved and I got my hair cut to a 1930s uh, style haircut. And I went back to the studio the next day or whenever it was. And the one thing I remember is that I walked into the soundstage uh, and they were doing screen tests. And apparently, apparently, you know, apparently they were doing a day of screen tests. They'd seen everybody in town. I mean, like crazy people like like Don Johnson and and people that were too old for it and people that were too young for it and other people and um, and. And they still couldn't quite find the guy. And Joe Johnston, they had some screen tests scheduled. And apparently, you know, they have to pay the crew for like the whole day. But even though they've only got one or two screen tests arranged, so they needed like two or three more screen tests. So he put his finger on the list and he's like, uh, what about this guy, Billy Campbell? We haven't seen him in two months and so uh, there I go. I show up for the screen test. I walk into the door of the soundstage and Joe just happens to be a couple of meters away at the craft service table making a sandwich. He looks up and then looks down and looks up again at me like does a double take because I'd got the haircut. I'd got my face shaved. And right then my heart leapt and I thought, I have a real shot at this. And then they offered it to Johnny Depp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> dun, dun. Well, uh, that, that didn't happen though. So no, I, I feel better now. I, for a moment there, I'm like going, Oh, Oh, that's right. It has a happy ending. Okay. Well, so. I'll, I'll tell you in case you want to know how it happened that Johnny didn't do it. My agent's office was right next to Johnny's agent's office at ICM. And my agent called me up and said, Billy, Billy, Tracy's going to have a conversation with Johnny today about whether he should do the Rocketeer or not. And she invited me. I'm going in there. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And uh, he called me later in the day and said, I was brilliant. I did everything. I, I, I started by telling him all the reasons he should do the movie. And then I segued into all the reasons he shouldn't, how he wants to have an offbeat career. And this is not really an offbeat film. And it's a big commercial thing and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we talked him out of it. The best agent in town. Oh my gosh, that's a good story. Thank <laughs> and you. And a few yeah. days later, a few days, sorry, I'm, I'm babbling. Oh, no, that's go okay. Ahead. A few days later, I was at the agency and in my agent's office and he, he says, Billy, he said, Johnny's right next door with Tracy. You want to go in there? I'm like, no, 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 no. And he said, yes, you're coming in there. And he took me in there and there was Johnny Depp. It's the one and only time I've ever met him. And uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I picked him up and gave him a great big bear hug. And said, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's funny. Oh. He's like a tiny human being. He's like tiny, but he smelled good. He smelled like, I don't know, leather and citronella or something. <laughs> that sounds about right, I think. <laughs> wow. Great. Can I also just say that you are my favorite guest we've ever had on now because you mentioned that you like turkey legs and we have a running gag that I'm the only one on this show that likes turkey legs and you are the very first one to oh. ever bring it up. So that will, yeah. I will forever yeah. treasure this. I don't even, <laughs> I, I fail to comprehend how that's even a gag because doesn't oh. like turkey legs? You would think. 
You would think everyone does. I, I wouldn't say that you're the only one on the show. I think just Brett is so aggressively against the existence of a turkey leg that yeah. uh, no, let's see, it's, it's, it's rather over. it's a very sort of specific park related event, you know, at a Renaissance fair. Okay, you know, I'm going to give you Renaissance fair because you know <laughs> okay. I will, I will give you Renaissance fair. Right. But I'm like going walking around in Frontierland or going into Tomorrowland and I see a turkey leg. Remember, we are beyond the mouse. So anyway, it just is. I'll just shut up though and let her have her turkey leg moment. You know. Yes, oh. ye old turkey leg is delicious. <laughs> I still have my I still have my Renaissance fair gear hanging up on the on the fence. I, I I love a good Renaissance fair. That's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah. So great. Um, you mentioned, you know, I think people, if they uh, if they didn't know that Dave Stevens had come up with this amazing graphic novel and that was the basis for the movie, people would li- people would pick that up today and they absolutely would think that the graphic novel was done after the movie because um, you it is striking yeah. the resemblance yeah. between you and uh, and Cliff Secord. And I just, you know, you mentioned that, that Dave is such a, a genius and, and working with the film. I'm wondering, can you elaborate on that? Was he on set for most of the film? Was, uh, did he work in the development of the film? How did all that uh, go? How was that relationship? I don't know exactly about the development. My, my hunch is that he was uh, pretty closely involved. Um, he was a bit, he was shy as well. Um, and, a, and a remarkably sort of, a humble fellow, but, but I think he felt shy about being around too much. Um, I wanted him around all the time. I mean, my God, I'm, I'm like a kid who wanted to draw comic books, you know? So like hanging out with Dave Stevens was, you know, uh, I don't know. The, the whole thing was a bit of a wet dream, you know, like, like uh, hanging out with Dave Stevens and, and, and doing an old, my very first film being the lead in my very first film, not only that, but it's it's an adventure movie. Not only that, but it's set in the 30s. Uh, not only that, but I'm falling in love with my co-star. I mean, like the whole thing was just, it was just, yeah. So anyway, Dave was around. He wasn't around as, as, as often as I would have liked, but he was definitely a presence. That's excellent. Um, Vanessa, you had a question about Joe Johnston. We've talked about him in just a little bit, and um, he has a real eye for that World War II um, nostalgia, um, and most notably in The Rocketeer and also Captain America, the first Avenger. So we just kind of wanted to ask you, uh, how do you feel he's able to capture that time so well, and and did Joe get you as an actor into the the period of the film in any particular way? No. I think Joe's magic is you know i told him this recently we we not that long ago uh, uh just a couple of months ago we had a we had a zoom uh, a zoom viewing of the rocketeer uh and joe was there and amy young uh and the whole she she was special effects and the whole bunch of the special effects folks from industrial light and magic we're on the Zoom and we all watched the movie together and yacked about it. Amy Young, by the way, a Renaissance Fair, who I knew at the Renaissance Fair before she even was uh, at ILM. Um, <laughs> and so Joe, I, you know, I said this to Joe afterward, we traded a couple of emails and I said, you were, you know, you were, he was a funny cup of tea to begin with because I was a beginning actor 
I mean, you know, my first film job. I'd been acting for a while, but um, Joe is, if things are going well, Joe leaves you alone. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And, and he's, he's a, he has a very spare directing style, which I have come to love. And it's, and honestly, you know, he was, he was a funny cup of tea for me in the beginning. I grew to love him and love his direction. And I told him recently that you are the cup of tea against which I have measured countless other cups of tea over the years. And, and, you know, and none, very few, if any, have, have equaled. Um, so I think his magic is he knows how to move the camera. He knows that the camera is the audience and that the, that he should take the audience. He knows how to take the audience where they need to go. Um, and he works with good people and he's trusting of good people, you know, and he doesn't brook nonsense from, from jerks. So, uh, you know, he's everything a, a top-notch director ought to be. And, uh, yeah. That's great. Did I answer that? I can't even remember what the question was. You did. <laughs> yes. You did. Good. Yes. You answered it wonderfully. <laughs> Brett, you had a question about his co-stars, numerous co-stars in the, well, in the movie. Well, it was such, it was so great to watch The Rocketeer again, because I, because I've watched it a few times and, and Craig has, you know, uh, helped uh, me revisit it. So, you know, so I'm very grateful to him for that. But there is so much chemistry in this film with your castmates. And I'm a big fan of Margot Martindale, you know, but I, I wanted to ask if there was any specific stories or thoughts that you had with working with three individuals specifically, and we yep. can take them one at a time if you sure. like, because um, it sure, sounds sure, like sure. you probably yeah, have some stories. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to reverse the order just a little bit here, but um, Timothy Dalton? Timothy. Uh, a gentleman. Uh, I, think it, I think it's, I mean, obviously I haven't seen every Timothy Dalton performance uh, across the board, but I have to believe it's one of his very best. He's magnificent as uh, as the as the gosh, I can't remember his name. Neville Sinclair, of course. Neville. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, I just think he was genius. He was absolutely genius in the role. Genius, and uh, and a gentleman, and and we I, I adored him. I wish we had had more time, spent more time together. That's great. Wow. Okay, and Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly, there's not a lot needs saying. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, and then... I, I just, no, no. I just mean that I, 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 I adored her as well. We fell in love during the movie. We were together for five years or so afterward. And, uh, uh, and I adore her to this day. That's awesome. And Alan Arkin. Wow. Alan, Arkin. <laughs> Alan wow. and I are still friends and we do still keep in touch. I, we were in, we were in, um, uh, I was with my wife and kids in Nova Scotia, not last summer, but this summer before, I guess. 
the summer the hurricane came across. Uh, mm. What's the mm-hmm. name of the hurricane? I think it was Hugo, maybe, or something. Mm, yes. Um, anyway, uh, that summer, um, uh, Alan um, has a has a house up in uh, uh, New Brunswick. Um, no, sorry, Cape Breton. And uh, so we uh, we packed up the car and we drove up to Cape Breton to to see Alan. Um, um, so I have seen him as as, as lately as then. But we uh, we chat to send messages back and forth still. I love him, uh, love him to death. He's one of the sweetest people in in God's green earth. And uh, yeah, I and he's great that. in the film too. So that too, you yeah. know. Yeah. So good, and in everything. So you know, that's kind yeah. of good. our our relationship is very much like uh, <laughs> and Cliff's relationship. That is awesome. That is wonderful. It's just fantastic to hear. Um, you know, so I in doing research, I I went back and listened to a couple of your uh, recent interviews, and in one interview in particular, you mentioned that you had written your own backstory to Cliff Secord, and you said you might still have that. And I have to ask if you found it. <laughs> so. I, I haven't found it yet, but okay. I know it's. I know it's. I've got boxes and boxes because I sold my house in L.A. Finally, after you know however many years, uh, in 2019. And I say, I rescued everything of any, you know, importance to me, which were mostly books and, and old notebooks and papers and stuff. I know it's up there somewhere in all those, in that, all the cabinetry. And, uh, one of these days I'm going to end up finding it. So, uh, if, and when I do, I will share it. I promised to share it with what interview was that? I can't remember. Who that was, was Comic Book Central, I believe. Yeah. Comic Book Central. I have to write. It was that. Beyond the Mouse, wasn't it? Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> I'll, share it, I'll share it. I'll share it with you guys too. Um, Perfect. Um, I'll share it with everyone, but I can't remember. I couldn't remember who it was. Uh, now you know. You now know, I see. Know. Thank you for reminding. That was good. Yeah. So Craig, you know, pay it forward there. That's so. right. That's right. Well, you yeah. know. I, is that something that you do um, with characters? Like, so is it something that you you did with, say, John Cardinal when you got that? Obviously, there's more literature on him than one graphic novel series. You had the, the novels to go to. But is that something that you find yourself doing, kind of getting into the character that way? Or was that just sort of a special occurrence? That was, that was mainly a one-off. And that was also mainly because um, I was young and just starting out and, and uh, nervous and, and felt the need to make myself overly familiar with something anything in order to uh you know la partially la my 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 nerves um i don't do that much anymore though i do do some i sometimes you know like i'm i'm here doing a pilot now and i just had a talk the other night with the producer and you know i don't need to write a full biography of the guy but i do need to know some you know, salient kind of things. And, um, and now it's just a matter of, you know, I asked the producer who wrote and created the character, like, what are you looking for? What do you, what kind of guy are you looking for? You know, mm-hmm. uh, is he, uh, I don't know. Is he happy? Is he sad? What is he? You know, you tell me what he is and then I'll make something up. Um, but back then I was super, I was super excited. I was, uh, and I do like to write, and so I wrote this uh, backstory for Cliff, uh, how Cliff and PV met and, and all that. And I think it's actually pretty damn good. I had, I had a dream of, um, I never showed it to Dave, 
I never got to show it to him, but uh, at one point I had a dream that I would show it to Dave and, and that he would like it so much that he would, that he would draw it. Um, yeah. That would have been just great. You know, I uh, don't know if you need uh, any kind of encouragement on this, but if in case you do, if you enjoy writing and just this, this rich story you've already provided with us, if you ever feel like you should sit down and write a memoir, the answer is yes. Uh, because we would love to read it. Uh, we would love to to uh, to get that for sure. Um, but Vanessa, you had our next question. So uh, the great late James Horner wrote a score that was beautiful and perfect for the oh, film. And uh, we it? just wanted to ask you, were you able to hear any of it before the film was released? And, and how did you feel it shaped the film? Well, I don't remember hearing it before it was released. Uh, though I, I guess I must have at some point. Um, no, but it doesn't. It that that doesn't come back to me. But how it shaped the film? Oh my God! Can you imagine that movie without that score? I mean, the movie would still be good, yeah. But that uh, that that score is just brilliant. It just lifts you. I mean like the wings, like you're on wings, you know, which is exactly what, you know, which is, may have been what uh, James was thinking of when he, when he wrote it. It's one of the, it's just a magical, magical score, magical score. It's right up there for me with, uh, you know, the mission, I think is one of my favorite. Oh, old yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a good one too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That, that, that opening title sequence and that opening scene, it sets you in such a, a way, it, it, it delivers you into the story yeah. in such yeah, a way that, that's so amazing uh, yeah. and sets the, the, sets the scene so well. Uh, and a couple Brett, of the music cues, some of the music cues that weren't necessarily James, but uh, like uh, the one that, uh, that just pops into my mind is uh, after they shoot up the house, uh, and we run out the back door of PV and I, and then the, 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 uh, the big band music kicks in. I can't remember which song it is, uh, uh, but I, uh, just fantastic. Or in the, in the South Seas Club, when, uh, when uh, Begin the Begin kicks in, it's mm-hmm. just, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I have to watch the movie now again. Yay! Well, hey, <laughs> I we'll hear watch it along with you. Anyway, though, <laughs> so, uh, but Brett, you're you're uh, you have a question now about the end of the film and kind of where it went from there. Well, when we reach the end of the film and Jenny hands to PV the plans for the rocket, mm. as fans of this film, it left us wanting so much more. Now, we understand that there may have been stories where Disney wanted to create a franchise or sequels. Were there any whispers at the time on the set about a Rocketeer sequel or? There were whispers. There were whispers. Um, But they, you know, when the movie opened and it didn't do the business that Disney wanted, um, then, you know, then the whispers just goes away. Yeah. 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 Well, still, you know, there's whispers and we still love it. So <laughs> there's just a couple of films that it seemed like they were ahead of their times for whether it be the critics or the audience reaction. I actually, um, you know, growing up in this era, I really put this uh, 
film in a category along with something like Hook, which is thought of as um, Steven Spielberg's kind of miss of a film, but Mm. it has such a life because that is Robin Williams is my Peter Pan. Um, And again, you know, we alluded to this earlier, you were the first person um, for me that I experienced. I mean, I, you know, I promised these guys I wouldn't fanboy too much, but I I dressed up, I I made the helmets and I ran around my house as the rocketeer, you know? And so that, that endures. And I I wanted to ask about that because I have a son now, uh, I have a five-year-old and I try my best not to impress all my love uh, of properties, movies, anything on him. I want him to, to come to it on his own. Yeah. But there's a beautiful series uh, on now it's on Disney plus you can find it there. Uh, it is a new rocketeer and we get to follow Kit Secord and her adventures. And so I, I didn't want to immediately be like, okay, he has to watch this, but he came to it on his own. Uh, yeah. He saw it as an option on the, the homepage and he loves it. He watches the whole series. He watches all the episodes and you're a part of that as well. And so I wanted to, to ask what the process was like or what the feeling is like to deliver this to a new generation. Well, it's, it's lovely. It's, it's lovely. And it's, uh, I mean, the, the notion of it, you know, I get, I get pleasure from, but overall the job is kind of lonely. Like, I've never met any of those people. I've <laughs> only, the only thing I've ever done is get on a train, go up to Oslo, go into a sound studio, do some, some voice work with people that I don't even see on a TV, just people, engineers in LA. And then, and I'm, and then I get on a train and go home to the farm. And, uh, and I've never met any of them. I've never, never any of it. So it's, it's like, it's super fun idea. And I'm super happy to sort of be, have that out there. But, it, but I have to say, it's been kind of a lonely experience. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, my whole thing for working is like, uh, and it really always has been, I've always just enjoyed working because you meet people, you go new places and you meet new people. And, and I, I didn't meet anybody except a lonely sort of sound engineer up in Oslo. But you have lunch on occasion now because you're best friends. So no, maybe not. Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's okay. You'll see Uh, each other at the store and go, Oh, remember, you know, (laughs) you know, there, when you're, when you're trying to do some of these interviews, you try to be as professional as possible and things. And I was joking with them that this one would be, would be hard. And I don't want to come off as like a crazy fan for you because then you're kind of like, well, that guy's weird. So I'm trying to play this <laughs> cool <laughs> as much as possible. You're totally, you're, you're golden. It's, it's all good. I, I, I have experienced all kinds of things over the years. Um, um, so I'm, I'm don't even, don't even sweat it. Don't even I appreciate that. I appreciate. I'll tell that. you. A, I'll tell you a funny thing that happened. Maybe one of the best things that's happened with regard to the Rocketeer and fan fanship. I was down in San Diego doing a play at the Old Globe, and uh, and I was out one evening with uh, some rugby teammates of mine. I used to play rugby uh, for Santa Monica and we go down and play San Diego, old Mission Bay in San Diego all the time. And as happens, you become friends with who people who have previously tried to beat the shit out of you on the rugby field. 
<laughs> and uh, I was out with a group of them <clears throat> one night in a, in a pub. And there was a really, and these were older guys like me, peers of mine. And um, <laughs> there was a table nearby of younger guys, really <laughs> like buff looking younger guys. And they were super rowdy. And, you know, my, I'm a pacifist anyway, but my days of even accidentally getting in a fight are long gone. And none of my rugby buddies who are, you know, as old as, as me, or if not five, 10 years older, nobody wants to get in a fight. So as it happens, you just kind of keep them on your radar. You know what I mean? Just to, you know, if I have to get up and like actually run away or leave the pub or something, or, you know, whatever. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Anyway, they, they, nothing happened, and I, they kind of went off my radar, and I'm sitting there with my guys. And then this hand comes on my shoulder. And it's like, it's like a, I look, and then I look up, and it's one of those guys. And he's looking down at me, and I have no idea what the look in his face is. You know, there's no expression on his face. And so that means he could be like, he could have got drunk enough that he said to his friends, watch this, watch what I do to this jerk over here. And I look up and he, and he says in the sweetest voice imaginable, excuse me, but are, are you the rocketeer? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, uh, and immediately, like, it was almost like I needed to pee. I, I was so relieved. <laughs> and I said, why? Yes. Yes, I am. He said, well, I just want you to know that I'm a Navy SEAL, and these are my teammates over here. We're all Navy SEALs, and I just wanted to say, you're the reason I'm a Navy SEAL. And I was oh, like, wow, what? And he said, yeah, my dad, you know, took me to see the Rocketeer when I was 10 for my birthday or something. And, and that was the first time I ever remembered having a heroic thought in my life. And I wanted to be a hero. And that led directly to my joining the Navy. And joining the Navy led directly to my joining the SEALs. And uh, yeah, so, so that happened. Wow. And I became friends with, with them. I'm still in touch with a couple of those SEAL guys. They came to see the play. And I went to that guy's uh, birthday celebration at a different pub like eight weeks later. And I gave him the only memento I ever kept from the Rocketeer, which was a, a menu from the Bulldog Cafe. Wow. Um, which, oh, had a, wow. which had a, which had a, I regret it now. I wish I hadn't. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It had an old call sheet from the movie also stuffed in the back of the menu. So, that's really, that's, that's really cool. That's, I mean, that's, truly that's you, you had that, you had that impact on so many people and, and, uh, you know, myself included, but, uh, I think it's Vanessa that has the next question. I was losing, yep. uh, your, your story. I, I lost my place, but Vanessa, I think you have yeah, the next question. I don't even know how I can ask anything that would top that story, no, but just, I'll try yeah. here. Uh, so you broke some news in a recent interview that you'll be returning to your Star Trek, the next generation uh, character, mm. the Nickelodeon show Star Trek Prodigy. 
And I'm wondering if you're able to share any additional details about this show. Has production begun? Have you have you recorded your parts? You could you could say you know we could say something like you know I I may be I will <laughs> I will hint at you that I may be revisiting the Star Trek universe at some point in the near future. Okay, well, well thank you then. Wow, that that's not a scoop. That's just common knowledge. Thank you, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett, you had a question. Well, you mentioned your your rugby experiences, and we've read that you love rugby and sailing, and that you've even been part of a crew of a multi-masted tall ship, and you've sailed around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seems as though you have a wonderful sense of adventure. Does that speak to your philosophy about life? Ooh, big questions now. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean... Uh, or what you did on your summer vacation or your hiatus, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, no, no. You know, the, the rugby thing is, I mean, rugby, I, I think, is kind of saved my life when I was younger and running around and, uh, and uh, being rather dissolute and uh uh yeah so it gave me something to you know it gave me something uh rugby is a it's like a it's like a there's there's a spirit to the game that that is uh and and between the people that play the game that's why you could go down to san diego and have beers in a pub with people who you spent uh, you know eight ten years of your life trying to beat the hell out of um, uh, so, 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 so that's that, um, as far as sailing is concerned, I, I, um, you know, I came to Los Angeles, um, the f- dangerous thing about the business for me was that, um, being, being in Los Angeles, you know, there, there, there are no real seasons, Right. I'm an East Coast boy. There are no real seasons. I mean, you have the May gray, the June gloom, um, but that's that's like it. You might have, well, we used to have some rain in September, but that's like hardly happening anymore. Um, and so you don't notice the seasons going by, right? And then as an actor, you're, you know, you're afraid to leave town that often because what am I going to miss? So make long story short, you know, I, I was, I basically, I had a midlife crisis and I, one day I'm like in my uh, house in Los Angeles and I suddenly, I was sitting on my bed looking out over, you know, Santa Monica and I suddenly, I realized, wait a minute, I'm, I'm 40, (laughs) You know, I moved there when I was like 23 and, and suddenly I was 40. I mean, that's what it felt like, 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 like what just happened. And um, I was at the time reading uh, the, the Patrick O'Brien series, Master and Commander mm. uh, series of books. There were 20 of them. I was halfway through. My friend Stephen Lang, the actor who is the, you know, the bad guy in um, uh, Avatar, mm-hmm. um, We've been friends ever since we uh, we did um, Crime Story together in Chicago in the in the mid '80s. Uh, He's so amazing in Gettysburg too. Isn't he though? Yeah, yeah. And um, so he had introduced me to these novels. I was halfway through them, 
And I suddenly, and, 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 and I had this midlife crisis sitting on the edge of my bed in Los Angeles. I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was sitting on the edge of my bed, looking out over LA. And I think I started crying. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the, what the F am I doing? I I'm 40. I'm, I, I never, I got here, you know, 17 years ago and I haven't done anything. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I've done some acting, but, yeah. uh, that never really felt like much. And anyway, one thing led to another. And I, I was, I just had this notion that I had to go sail on a tall ship really partly to get the hell out of town, but also partly because when I read the rest of the novels, I wanted to know exactly what it felt like when he described a ship rolling on the sea. Mm. And um, I had remembered seeing an advert in the back of a Harper's magazine for a tall ship, a Norwegian tall ship. It had a little silhouette of a tall ship and it said, come live the adventure on the tall ship Surlanda in Norway. I ran down that moment, got in the Jeep and I ran down to Santa Monica to the newsstand and I got, this was before I had internet, I think. Um, And I got a magazine and I found the advert and I booked passage on uh, that tall ship. And so I went off to a tall ship in Norway. And then I, I loved it so much. It was the most exciting thing I'd ever done. I loved it so much that I, I, I stayed on that ship for four years, four, four sailing seasons, not you know four straight years. Um, and when I came back to town, it made it, one of the major differences it made for me was that when I walked into an audition, I had a faraway look in my eyes. I no longer had this look like, I'm desperate for this job, please hire me. Uh, I was like, I had a look like I wanted to be somewhere else. And they would start asking me like, you know, what do you, so what do you do when you're not acting? And I started telling them and they were like, that's amazing. And you look like you love it so much. And I do. And I'm like, I do. So uh, yeah, hope I get the job. But if I don't, good luck. See you later. <laughs> you wow. Know? And um, so I was on that ship for four seasons. And the last season I was aboard, uh, uh, my shipmate, Ida, brought her uh, cousin, Anna, uh, on board as a trainee not a not a crew member but a trainee and uh and anna is now my wife and we have two kids wow wow it's just incredible it's Uh, so it's so cool to hear uh your life story and all the different directions that you've taken and and it seems like you're one of those people that have really um lived life and kind of sucked the marrow out of life which is extremely extremely great to uh, be able to talk to you about that I, I need to ask now sort of what you have up on the horizon. I don't know if you're allowed to say you did mention earlier that you're in Vancouver for a pilot. Are you yep. able to say what that pilot is or I give am, us any details? I am indeed. I am indeed. Um, it's called National Parks. It's for ABC. Um, it's um, produced by um, uh, Kevin Costner and his company. Um, 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 and it's set in the National Park Service. Um, there are, um, the National Park Service has, uh, has, uh, they have rangers and they have ISB agents. Rangers, they have quite a few of, maybe a, a couple thousand, I think. 
spread out. There are the people in the flat hats you see who, mm-hmm. you know, the smoky bear hats. Um, and then they have ISB agents who are, uh, it stands for investigative, investigative services bureau of the national park service. So it's, they're like the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, they're, they're the investigative officers of the National Park Service. So if there's some crime in the national parks um, and initially a ranger is involved, or uh, then, then the ISB come and, and, you know, rangers often become ISB agents and, and so forth. But they're the investigative services branch of the National Park Service. And so the show is set in the ISB in the national parks, I, I believe it's set in Yosemite, uh, and it's really well written. The dialogue, I think, is brilliant. Um, it's the kind of dialogue that I, you know, I wasn't going to come back to North America, but to be honest, they made the they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we really need the money at this point because we're doing a major renovation on the farm in Norway, and. Uh, as well as building a cabin up in the mountains. Long story short, this, uh, this writing really is smart. It's good. It's not typical TV writing. And I'm hoping that it, uh, that it does good things for the, you know, it shines a light on the ISB. We spent some time last night on a Zoom with um, the guy who used to be in charge of the whole agency. Um, mind you, though there are two or 3,000 rangers uh, in the national parks, ISB agents number about 30. <laughs> and that's covering, that's covering 84 million square acres of national parks. Oh. And we talked to him last night and he said, you know, I got to tell you, the agents at the ISB, they're all pretty damned excited about this show. <laughs> <laughs> Because not a lot of people know that they exist, and um, and there is, uh, from what I'm learning, there's a lot of nasty stuff goes on in the national parks. Uh, I was I've been on the National Park Service website and reading uh, their yearly reports, and I mean, there's a lot of nasty stuff that goes on. So. At least 12 seasons of that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, please no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Picked well, that, up and, yeah, good until, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, if you think about, like, what, what has happened with Kevin Costner's Yellowstone, it, just, it makes a lot of sense that um, this might be an area where he might yeah. expand. And that's, that's extremely exciting because truly to, to kind of come back full circle to where we begun this, um, I again can't recommend people check out Cardinal enough because your uh, acting in that is just superb. And I typically don't do kind of the gory criminal uh, dramas, but mm. it's something about the writing of that show. Like you said, it was something about the writing of that show that was different and that gave us those multi-layer characters and the fact that it was uh, in six episode series that were uh, pretty much self-contained. It, it just made it, it, it's making it such a great viewing viewing experience. So I can't recommend that enough. And we can't wait to see what else you're going to be in, uh, in the future. And I, um, and, and this has just been so great. This has been such a, a wonderful time to get to talk to you. And I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to speak with you today. 
Well, it's my my pleasure, you guys, especially seeing as how I'm in quarantine and desperate for company. <laughs> hey, well, we can do this, you know, anytime you feel, you know, just give us a little <laughs> Zoom ring up and we will be happy to hear more of your stories. Definitely. So. Fine with that. Fine yeah. with that. Well, and you've you've put aside the notion never meet your heroes because you right. know I think because Craig is going to be fanboying and loving this for a moment. So thank oh, you for yeah, for thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right, well, take care, please. Yeah, we can't wait to see you on the screen and wherever else you are next. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye see you. I have a hard time kind of putting it into words uh, how great of an experience that was because Billy was so open with us. Uh, he was willing to tell us uh, some stories about his career in acting. Uh, he talks about life in a way that, again, I, I, I joked with him that he should write a memoir, but he has, it seems like a, a very good outlook on life and his career in Hollywood, but also the important things like uh, living on a farm and uh, being able to go back to those roots and then return to that life again after having lived in Los Angeles. It, it just incredible interview. I can't thank him enough uh, for his time and for everything that he has done to propel, uh, again, my thought of that superhero genre, that comic book genre. Again, I know he says that Cliff Secord's not a superhero, but in my eye, he still is. Uh, Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we just had? Well, I am just so happy for you. Are you alive even? Are you dead? Do I need to get out the defibrillator? Clear. You know, I was ready the whole time to resuscitate you if you needed it. Um, that I thought was, I handled myself fairly well, did, right? Did, honest, you honestly, did. you did. You you are much better than me and Brett because we just go on and on about how we're not stalkers when we talk to people. <laughs> so, the whole Phil Collins thing could get a little issue. <laughs> nothing so. but a cool, calm cucumber and nothing but class. So I, I'm so happy for you. And he was, I think he could be the world's nicest guy possibly you know he's had a wonderful career i really get the sense that he loves his craft and has really worked on it um throughout his career but i also love just talking about life with him and his wanting to sail and what a delight and just a very very nice person it, it was it was a wonderful time to speak with him and again so happy for you and so happy that he enjoys yield turkey leg. Oh, Brett, I bet you didn't think that was going to come up today, did you? But it, <laughs> we will forever have this in our memories. Yes, yes. Oh, well, I, are you going to me now? Because I was going to mention I think I have leg. to. And I, I thought maybe Vanessa might bring that back up. <laughs> well, she just did. And um, I forgive, you know, I'm a, I'm a very forgiving person. And, you know, my, I was in the interview, I was kind of specific on where and where I, I think Turkey Lake should exist. Um, Renaissance fairs, yes, theme parks, well, not when I'm around. But anyway, yeah, back to this interview. You know, this was, uh, this was, as I said, don't meet your, you know, you should never meet your heroes. And, 
kind of crank you did. And I think it was a good experience. So I am happy for that. I am happy that he shared so many wonderful experiences, both um, on set and on screen experiences, as well as life lessons to these learn, because we always love life lessons on our podcast. So we can yeah learn and grow. Well, mm-hmm. what's wonderful about it is that uh, he uh, is continuing to act. We get to experience that again. I, I've mentioned it a bunch in the interview at the top and at the bottom. Uh, Cardinal is great. Please go out there and support that on Hulu. Really looking forward to that pilot that he's filming for ABC. I can't wait to see what becomes of that. And of course, it's very neat that he acknowledges uh, the role that the Rocketeer has in a lot of fans' lives, because sometimes you do that first major uh, movie and you move past that role or, um, you know, you may not want to address it or talk about it too much. But he was so open with talking about his love for Dave Stevens and uh, his interactions with Joe Johnston and, of course, all of his amazing ensemble around him. It's just... everything. It was everything. So I'm so grateful to Billy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, And we've had so many great opportunities, right? And we are so grateful to all the people that we've gotten to speak with. And again, this one is just a bit, it has a a bit more of a place for me um, because of the importance of this particular film on my childhood, uh, for sure. So any final thoughts, you two? Brett? We're so happy for you. We're so happy for you. I'm happy for you two because, you know, I will say that when I said, I don't know, how long have we been doing this? Like four years ago, or three years ago, um, you had told me that I really needed to go uh, check out Big Business, uh, I believe was the film. And it took me forever to do that. And also Pollyanna, you told me that, um, took me forever to come to those films. Um, and then I was like, if I'm going to assign you a movie, it's The Rocketeer, right? And so it's kind of nice to come full circle with that. Yeah, Vanessa, please. any final thoughts? Well, again, yes, we're very happy for you. Now we have to move on and talk about this National Park site. Okay, let's get on there right now because I want to know what the deets are. What is the drama he is talking about? Is Smokey Bear starting his own forest fires? Could it be? I don't know. I got to find out. We got to go do this right away. So let's wrap this show up so I can go dig through the National uh, Park's website. I'm going to be on there for a few hours, I think. Absolutely. I'm going to go watch Rocketeer again. Yeah. You know, you know where you can spend a couple of hours. You can subscribe to our podcast on any podcast feed that you'd like. You can find us by searching Beyond the Mouse. You can also follow us on social media, Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook, also Beyond the Mouse Pod on Instagram and Beyond Mouse on Twitter. We're kind of trying to be active all over the place so you can interact with us. Please feel free to message us and let us know what you think of the show. We really love to hear from people and would love to get your insights into what you'd like us to try to cover in the future because we are certainly here to make this an interactive experience for you as well. We are also a Community Voices podcast of NPR Illinois, so you can find us on nprillinois.org. And we are part of the Front Row Network, so you can find us there by searching the Front Row Network on any social media and also Front Row Reviews with a Z on Twitter as well. Counting, this is episode 98. And uh, we will have an episode next week, episode 99. Uh, If I've done my math correctly and we've done the schedule correctly in my mind, we are going to be meeting another Vanessa Ferguson who uh, also has a Disney podcast, which will be really fun. It was a great conversation that we were able to have. And then it's, it's the big deal. 
April 2nd is our 100th episode. And uh, Brett, feel free to edit this out if you don't want us to make this announcement on the podcast. But I will say by the time this drops, we would have had a recording uh, that I think is going to be extremely special for you to be able to listen to. And I think because you're our listeners, you've already subscribed to us, you get you deserve to know first. We will post it on our social media, of course, but we are having a panel discussion, all things about a Goofy movie with director Kevin Lima, Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy himself, and Jason Marsden, who plays Max uh, in the film. And it is going to be so great. I'm I'm so excited. It's funny because uh, I was so busy preparing for this interview today that I'm almost in my mind have had to kind of bundle up my excitement for next week and that interview and that panel next week, um, just to make sure that uh, I didn't lose myself in these amazing experiences. And uh, of course, Kevin Lima is, is quite the friend of the podcast and he has kind of helped us orchestrate this for our hundredth episode. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we can't wait. We literally can't wait for you to listen to it and can't wait to experience it. So any closing thoughts? Uh, I'll go to Brett first. This was a wonderful. So we thank Billy for the opportunity to speak with him. And I thank my two co-hosts for just being you. We're going to have a lot of time. We're going to have a lot of time to get weepy and emotional on the 100th episode, but none of this would have happened without the two of you joining on episode 13, whatever the case may be, because, um, you know, we work uh, so well together as a unit, and this would not have happened without both of you uh, in that as well. And so I'm so grateful for that. But again, we've got time to be weepy uh, on the 100th episode. But Vanessa, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, well, I have to say you guys are the best. And and thank you to our listeners, too. You are such a part of this as well. So thank you for listening. And that 100th episode will be so good. It'll have you saying, gosh. Gosh, yeah. Uh, we'll have to do... No, we probably shouldn't do any goofy impressions with Bill Farmer. That would probably... <laughs> that uh, will if, I that, if, I, if I start to go down we that... If I start to go down that path... We will stop, stop you me. immediately. I'm like... It's time to get out of here because you need to go to Disney Plus and turn on the Rocketeer right now. So for Beyond the Mouse podcast, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Oh, just incredible. Are you okay? I am. I'm great. It was awesome. So wonderful. Thank you again. Good job. Very cool, guys.